Welcome to the weekly teaching podcast of Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas, recorded live at 2828 Crossover in Fayetteville, Arkansas. For notes and resources accompanying this teaching, visit gracechurchnwa.org. Thanks for listening. We're glad you're here. Morning, everybody. My name is John Ray. I'm one of the elders here at Grace Church. And I don't know about y'all, but I love history, and I love researching history, and I love um, looking back at how things transpire over time. And a few years back, I was at a family reunion uh, for the Jones side. My grandmother was a Jones. And one of, our, uh, one of my relatives put together a binder of our ancestry on the, on the Jones side, going all the way back before the Revolutionary War. And it's really interesting as we progress back through there to, to see the names, to see the places, to see the things. And, and it was fun to find the heroes, right? There's, uh, on the Jones side are the Sevier family. So there's Sevier County, Arkansas. There's a Sevierville in Tennessee. One of the first governors of Tennessee was a Sevier. He was a, there were Sevier's who were uh, Revolutionary War heroes. And there were other people who had accomplished really neat things that had left their mark by their name being there. Not so much for the, uh, the other end of the spectrum. You know, the, the bootleggers and the ne'er-do-wells and the, the criminals who uh, inhabit that same family tree line. And all our family lines are like that, right? If we, if we look enough... We find heroes and scoundrels. We find people who have done great things and people who have squandered tremendous opportunity. And for the most part, we can still own our name. We can own our name with that. It gets a little more difficult, though, when we come across some truly evil people. What happens when we start to research and we find the sex offender or the mass murderer? What happens when we we dig deep enough to find the really nefarious personalities? That changes the way we view that name. And, And the reason I say that is, right now in the world, not so much here, but but increasingly here, taking on the name Christian carries with it baggage. Get in any argument, get on any university campus, get into a debate about the, the merits of Christianity, and before long, probably sooner rather than later, it's going to be brought up all the evil things, all the bad things that have been perpetrated, done in the name of Christ. How Christians were not only complicit, but actually actively engaged in perpetrating injustice, even murder, genocide at times. And so it's been suggested by some that that there's just too much baggage there. There's just too much baggage. We need to do away with this name Christian. We need to do away with calling ourselves Christian and come up with something else. Come up with another way of identifying ourselves that doesn't have the baggage. And I've got to tell you, at times that's been very, very attractive to me. Especially as somebody goes into different cultures, as, as we heard in Lithuania, our 
Trajan and Hannah in Lithuania. Sometimes is when you say that you're a Christian, there's all these presumptions made about you. That you feel like you're never going to get past those things. But I want to I propose this morning that we can't do that. For the most part, I know there, there's always going to be exceptions. But for the most part, we need to own this identity as a Christian. Now, for some of you, that might not be a stretch at all. You're like, well, yeah, I'm glad to be a Christian. I've always been glad to be a Christian. Don't have a problem with it. And for you, I, I want to say, I want you to think more deeply about why that is. I don't want you just to assume that that's a good thing as you may have already assumed, always assumed that. I want you to think deeply about that. And for those of you who have been tempted like I've been to reject it altogether, to come up with something else, I want us to consider why it is important that we take on this name with that. So pray with me as we jump into our study this morning. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence here. We know you're here, but we, each of us, stop and open our hearts, our minds, our spirits to you. You're welcome here. Teach us, Spirit. Lead us. Give us revelation and grant us grace that leads to obedience so that the name of Jesus may be known throughout the world. Amen. So, what does it mean to be a Christian? I mean, I like this. I found this on the internet, right? Didn't take much search. Uh, it's one of my favorite characters, right? <laughs> you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means, right? We, what does it mean to call ourselves a Christian, and how did we get there? Well, let's, let's look at how we got there. If you look at Acts 11... Because it's tempting to, to take that one verse that says, and in Antioch was the first place they were called Christian, and see it as just kind of an aside. See it as something that was just dropped in. See it as something that was just kind of put in there as a filler thing. But it's not. It's actually at the very end of a long section that helps us understand why they came up with that term. So start reading with me in, in Acts 11. It says this. Now the apostles and brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles too had accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers took, him, took issue with him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and shared a meal with them. Now that is two huge strikes against Peter. As we've talked about a lot before, in this culture, table fellowship defined who was in and who was out. Who you invited to your table, who you ate with, was a sign of affirmation. And it was also a sign of relational of relationship. We, we, we don't get that in our society today, right? We go to restaurants. Restaurants are full of whoever walks in and can pay the bill. We have people over. We have potlucks. We have picnics. We, we don't think about that in terms of how we would have to be very careful who we ate with, according to race, according to religion, according to gender, according to social status. This was a huge deal in this culture. 
So for Peter to sit at the table to even break bread, to take a meal with Gentiles, is a huge religious, cultural, social faux pas. Sin, really. The other thing is what he ate. And the two are connected, but not always directly. But he ate from things that were strictly forbidden in Jewish custom to eat. We don't know exactly what those were, what those things were, but we know that it was outside of the norms of that. So Peter's got these two big strikes, and the people, the 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 Jews who had accepted Jesus and started the church, they were still following those customs. They were still following those customs of table fellowship and kosher eating. So it goes on, it says, Peter began to explain to them point by point, saying, I was in the city of Joppa, praying. And in a trance, I saw a vision, an object, something like a large sheet, descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. It came to me. As I started to look into it, I saw four-footed animals from the earth, wild animals, reptiles. Ooh, big no-no. No, no, no reptiles. Wild birds. I also heard a voice saying to me, get up, Peter, slaughter and eat. But I said, certainly not, Lord, for nothing defiled or ritually unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice replied a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, you must not consider richly unclean. Isn't this just like Peter? I mean, come on, Jesus has already, he's ascended, right? He's come back, he's been resurrected. Peter, feed my sheep. He's done all this stuff. He goes off, sends the Holy Spirit, comes to Peter in a vision, and Peter does what Peter does. No, Lord, heaven forbid, (laughs) Right? He's still talking back to Jesus. This just blows me away. After all, these, after all the times, Peter is still talking back to God. Anyway, that's an aside, but I just couldn't get past that. I'm like, Peter, come on. But this happens three times, right? Because Peter needs the reinforcement, apparently. So this happens three times, and then everything was pulled up into heaven again. At that moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea, approached the house where we were staying. The Spirit told me, accompany them without hesitation. These six brothers went with me, and we entered into the man's house. And it's interesting, the threes that you see here. Three times the vision came. Six men, that's three times the necessary number to confirm uh, that something was true. To affirm that something was true, you had to have at least two witnesses. So six men, it's three times the number of necessary witnesses. So Peter's really laying out his case here. He is is going, he's crossing every T, dotting every I with this. Um, He informed us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, saying, send to Joppa and summon Simon, who is called Peter, who will speak a message to you, which by which your entire household will be saved. Then I began to speak. The Holy Spirit fell on them just as he did at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord as he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave them the same gift as he, gives, uh, as he gave us after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who am I to hinder God? When they heard this, they ceased their objections and praised God, saying, So then, God has granted repentance that leads life even to the Gentiles. And this is the end of kind of the first act. There's two steps leading up to this. And we see it. We make this assumption. We're all Gentiles. We're, we're already there. But it's, they're very 
they're very specific in the way that they get here that we need to understand. But it takes, like, it, it takes constant reinforcement. And at the end of this first, this first section of the scripture, what we get is this idea that the Jews are saying, okay, we get it. Jesus is for everybody. The Gentiles are going to get the Holy Spirit. God, is, God is, is doing this thing and it's not just going to be confined to the Jewish people, which is a huge hurdle. It's always been a huge hurdle. And before we get too critical of the Jews, it's always been a huge hurdle for everyone. We get in our groups, we form up around with people that look like us, smell like us, you know, like the same kind of food, speak the same language, <clears throat> and we start to think, this is where God dwells. Like, we're, we're the ones. Like, we're the special ones with that. And we just almost, almost just instinctively start excluding people. Well, anyway, all of this served to say, you can't do that. The other people are going to get there. But it wasn't quite enough. Because what could easily develop if it stopped here is kind of a separate but equal mentality. And this is very important for where we're going to go. Is that if they had stopped there and said, okay, hey, the Gentiles have the Holy Spirit. That's great. Let's let the Gentiles have the Gentile church. We'll have the Jewish church. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on. So it goes on. It says, Now those who had been scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen went as far as Phoenicia, Cyrus, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking a message to no one but Jews. But there are some men from Cyprus and Cyrene. Among them came to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks too, proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. The hand of the Lord was on them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. A report about them came to the attention of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. Because he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit of faith, and a significant number of people were brought to the Lord. So this is Act 2. What we see happen now is, oh, wait a minute, it's not going to be separate but equal. We've got, we've got Jews going over here to speak to the Gentiles, and then we've got Gentiles coming in here speaking to the Jews. And leadership is not going to be based on your ethnicity. Control is not going to be based on your tribe. That, that this thing that is forming is going to be unified. It's going to be one. And as Ron uh, Harris talked about last week, right? Is that that is the, that is the most revolutionary, radical, compelling message of this thing, the gospel, is that, hey, all those things that divide us, Jesus overcomes. All those things that separate us, gender, class, language, economics, physical abilities, mental capacities, Oh, no, the church, Jesus overcomes those things that they are brought together. And so that's the second part of this, is that the gospel goes out everywhere, and the gospel draws together everyone with that. 
He goes on to say, Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus and took Saul. And when he found him, he taught, brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a significant number of people. Now it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. So we get to the point. So here in Antioch, which is a, a largely Gentile city at the time, they're first called Christians. But they're first called Christians after these things that we just talked about happened. That there was a widespread understanding, one, that the gospel was for everyone. And then there was a widespread understanding that this church was going to be one church. No separate but equal. No second class. No divisions along racial lines. Religious lines. One church with that. So, what do you do then? Because it's not going to be, you're not going to be Jewish Jesus followers anymore. This idea, this concept was so radical, this concept was so important, they, they had to come up with a new name for it. The reason they were called Christians is that's the name that they thought best fit this new thing that God was doing. It was brand new. They didn't know what to call it. What they decided on was Christian. Now, it's interesting that we, we don't know who actually named them this. A lot of commentaries will tell you that it may have even been a uh, derogatory Statement, label, by people outside of the church. Like, because Christian, literally, little Christ, it's a diminutive. Could have been people in the community who were looking at these weirdos who were, who were acting this way and worshiping this God and, and called them, you know, little Jesuses. Oh, look, there go the little Jesuses. Look at all those little Jesuses. Look at all those little Christ. Look at all those Christians. It may have been that. It may have been the council in Jerusalem. They're like, well, we can't call ourselves Jews anymore. We're not. Jesus is the Messiah. And, and, and this Jesus Messiah thing is including everybody, not just Jewish people, but Gentiles. So what do we call ourselves? Well, we're followers of Christ. We're, we'll be Christians. So what does that mean to us? What does that mean that we call ourselves a Christian. And this is where I think it's really important that we own this. That we, 2,000 years later, as followers of Christ, the people who have been reconciled from every place, gender, age, race, background, have been reconciled together as one, is that we, we wear this label. Because one thing that it does is that it unites us with the church. Now, I started by saying, look, the church has done a lot of bad things. It has. Don't let anybody try to soft sell that. Read history. The church is complicit in some of the great atrocities throughout history. But also don't soft sell the good that the church has done. It's a mixed bag. There is no doubt. But if we want to say, hey, I don't want any part of those guys. I don't want any part of the Crusades. I don't want any part 
of the Inquisition. I don't want any part of the theologians who for years justified slavery and oppression with Bible verses. Like, I don't, I don't want part of that. You also don't get the good. You don't get to be part of the tremendous heritage, the rich heritage of those who opposed those very things, who brought healing in response to those very things, and who, quite frankly, probably prevented much worse atrocities from happening. And so when we claim Christian, we are, we are knitting our story to theirs. And we're owning it all, good and bad. And, and when we do that, I believe we see the redemption of Christ outshine everything. I don't want to be cut off from the church. I don't want to be cut off from the saints in the past. I don't want to not be identified with the great cloud of witnesses who have called themselves Christian throughout history. The other thing that it does is it is a designation that we are chosen. In a way, you don't get to choose your last name. Scott Leonard was born a Leonard. His parents got to choose his first name. They didn't get to choose his last name. I'm a Christian because I was chosen by God. I don't, I don't get to choose my last name in a way. That's who I am. That's who chose me. Was the God, the Christian God, chose me. And the other thing is that it shows that I did choose. That even as I was chosen, I chose I responded to that call. I turned around. I repented. And I, and I chose to be a Christian. It was a volitional act. I wasn't just born into it. I didn't become a Christian because my parents were Christian. I didn't automatically get into the church. I had to choose. I responded. And those, those things, I think, identify this, this idea of covenant relationship. Is that when we, when we really choose, when we really own this, when we really wear this label, what we're saying is this is not something that I've achieved. It is something that has been done for me. It is something that has been given to me. And in a covenant relationship, that is unbreakable. That means it doesn't matter how faithful or unfaithful how good at it or bad at it I am. God is going to uphold his end of the bargain. God is always going to be God. God is always going to fulfill and do what God says he will fulfill and do. And that's, to me, that's what it means to be a Christian, is that I'm part of this work that God has been doing throughout history, that he chose me and that I responded and that he will fulfill what he says he's going to fulfill in my life. But we do need to look, if we're going to think deeply about this, we need to ask the question, well, what are the alternatives? Anybody know how many times they're called Christians in the Bible? Three times. You would think if this was really important, it would be more than three times. There's only three times in the New Testament where they're called Christians. There's a number of other things that they're called along the way. 
some of them are up here and they're used much more frequently. They're called saint individually or saints together. Followers of the way, the ecclesia, the church. Uh, more modern day examples. A little DC talk in the house. We got our Jesus freaks, right? Jesus people, disciples. These are, these are all things that Christians have alternatively been identified as. And they're all legitimate. And I think in times they're all useful to identify yourselves with one or more of these. Jesus freak maybe a little hard to own, but none of these, though, do what Christian does. None of these things by itself is as all-encompassing, as unifying, and as specific as Christian. So yeah, use these alternatives. But in conjunction with Christian. Not as an exclusive alternative to it. And then the last question I ask when I look at this that I think we need to wrestle with was, well, how should we let this form us? Because naming is an important ritual. And it's an, it's an important characteristic of us as image bearers of God. One of the first things that Adam was charged with doing was naming things. One of the most important things we do when our children are born is contemplate, is it going to be Ben and Sam or is it going to be Sam and Ben? You know, how are we going to do that? How are we going to name our kids? What do, we, what do we want to invest in them? What do we want to do? Because we believe inherently that that name is going to form them. We pray. We sometimes fight <laughs> about what we're going to name our kids because we know it's important that that name is going to form them in a very specific way. We need to let the name Christian form us. We need to let that happen. We need to do that by owning it. Don't let it just be slapped on as an aside. Don't let it be secondary to your identity. The identity as Christian should be our fundamental identity. That should be the name that we recognize ourselves as and are recognized by. We need to own it. And then as we own it, we need to lean into it. We need to really really understand it. And this is a lifelong process. This is not something that's going to happen on a Sunday morning or a week of study. But we need to lean into what it means to be a Christian. As we own it, as we choose it, as we understand we're chosen, we need to lean into that to see where it takes us. And it's going to be, it's going to be different for everybody. And it's not always going to be easy. But we need to lean into that. And then in that process, let it discipline you. 
some of the greatest lessons that I've learned in life have been when I have been confronted and when I've been proven wrong, when I have been challenged. I remember specifically an incident on a train in Russia when I was uh, talking with a, a local there, a man who was probably 30 years older than me at the time, who did me the honor of listening to me give my spiel about the gospel and Christianity and how great Jesus was and how, how Christianity was the thing that was going to change the world. And Man, I thought I was, I thought I was rocking on. I mean, this guy was listening so patiently. I thought, man, I must have this guy. This is awesome. And then he turned to me and he said, everything you just told me is exactly what the communists promised as well. Just rocked me. I had no answer. I was, I mean, he just left me smoking. (laughs) But I learned from that. Listen, you call yourself a Christian, you're going to get smoked. It's not always going to be easy. Even as you love it, it is going to cause offense. I mean, I look at y'all going to school. I look at the workplaces where you go, the jobs that you have to do. I see the places that you have to be. Increasingly, probably, Being a Christian is not going to help you advance your career. It's going to cost you. Now, you can fight against that, or you can let it discipline you. You can let it help you identify with the sufferings of Christ. You can let it nurture this name deeper inside of you. We can let it really have its work of transforming us if we let it discipline us with that. So this thing that happened in Antioch, we've been asking a question, how did, they, how did the first hearers, how did the early church metabolize the gospel? Well, one thing that they did is they figured, we got to have another name. We have to have a new name. And the name they came up with, the name they settled on, was Christian. That's their name that they took, and it is our name that is given to us. And I hope as we progress through this week, that will become a fresh source of being drawn closer to God than we've had before. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And Alex introduced a song earlier. We're going to inter- he's going to introduce us to a new song as well, one that he has uh, written as he's been reflecting on what we've been studying of the resurrected life, of how we are to live, not just in appreciation for the freedom that the cross bought, brought through the death of Jesus, but also the freedom of life that comes from the resurrection of Jesus. And so this song seeks to really capture that with it, is what I love. We're also going to invite you up here to communion.
we talked a little bit about table fellowship earlier, how cultures and people often reject people from their table. This table is Christian. That means everybody that's, everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome at the table of Jesus. He does away with those restrictions and opens the table for everyone. And what is here is not only clean, but it is life-giving. What is set for us on this table brings us life. And so as you pray and as you are seeking Jesus to follow him, to love and be loved by Jesus, this table is open to you with that. We're going to take our offering because we share as an act of worship. We share with one another in the needs of this church and the needs of people like Hannah and Trajan who are going out and other ministries within our town. We do that as part of our worship is just to say, God, you've, you've already done everything we need. We just give back out of gratitude with that. And if you need prayer, if something that's been said today resonates within you, you want to know this Jesus and you haven't known Jesus before, come find us. We'll pray with you. If you have a particular burden, find someone you trust. Use this time to pray, to reflect, to worship, to give, and to come to the table to receive. Thank you for being here. Thanks again for listening to the weekly podcast from Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas. If you have any comments or questions or would like to know more about us, visit gracechurchnwa.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram too. We hope you join us again soon. In the meantime, grace and peace and have a great week.